0: Welcome to episode 16 of the F1 show for the 2007 Belgian Grand Prix. I'm Robin Warner. And I'm Jim Lau, and we had a uh, interesting turn of events from last race weekend with uh, McLaren dominance, and this week it's all about Ferrari. Kimi Raikkonen dominates the Belgian Grand Prix. His win makes it three in a row for the Finn at the famous Spa track. The second Ferrari driver, Felipe Massa, finishes second, giving Ferrari its latest one-two finish, and clinches the Constructors' Championship in the process. More on that story later. Fernando Alonso finishes third, and Lewis Hamilton fourth, neither McLaren having anything for either Ferrari. Fifth spot goes to Quick Nick Heidfeld in his BMW Sauber. He was followed by the young Nico Rosberg in his Williams Toyota. In seventh, Mark Webber puts in a very impressive drive for Red Bull Renault, and the factory Renault followed, driven by Heike Kovalainen collecting one point per eighth. Well, Jim, as my short race report kind of shows... And that's uh, all you got
1: for the race? That's that's <laughs> all I
0: got. It wasn't the most exciting race. Uh, the top four drivers finished where they started, albeit with a little bit of drama. What did you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, up to the first pit stop. So, well, turn one, lap one um, was a big incident for me with uh, Fernando Alonso pushing Lewis Hamilton off the road. I mean, Lewis got a pretty good start. And uh, Fernando, who uh, just sort of moved over to try to, to try to eke him out, and, and like Lewis was trying to make a move on the outside, and Alonso just like literally pushed the guy off the road. I mean, that, the cars touched. We didn't have a really good angle to see from the pictures there, but uh, you know it looked like they touched wheel to wheel. And uh, luckily, there's asphalt runoff at Spa now. Otherwise, that could have been the end of Lewis's race, um, and that, that actually could have been a factor in a, a number of incidents this this weekend with you know cars going off and being able to get back on. So True. that's good news there, but. I mean, you got to wonder what to make of all the it's the bad blood between Alonso and Hamilton at the team, and all the sort of drama going on at McLaren. But that really seemed unsporting to me, and there were no penalties handed down, or even any kind of a you know incident being investigated by the stewards or anything like that. I mean, it just looks like he, you know he got away with it. But um, it really sort of left a bad taste in my mouth, as, as you know Fernando just sort of saying you know screw you, even if you got a good launch and you're about to take me on the outside, I can still push you out to the outside and. You know, just literally push him right off the track. I didn't really like that.
0: Well, it, it was interesting. I watched that little bit of footage a few times, really trying to find a way that I could argue with you about this. But the problem is it looked pretty blatant from just about every angle. Yeah, uh, so he, he got Alon- to the apex of the corner and then, like, just went back,
1: like, just, steer, you know, counter-steered to push him back out.
0: Alonzo was in the corner fighting, and he had the wheel, he had his steering wheel turned to make proper exit of the corner. And as Lewis came alongside him on the outside, it really looked like he just plainly straightened his hands out, and then at the last minute, finished the turn of the corner, turned the wheel back in. But this was already after Alonso had two wheels in the grass, and uh, Hamilton was way off, past the grass, onto the dirt, uh, onto the asphalt runoff, and and though it seemed pretty blatant, and Hamilton was unhappy as a result yeah but since it was asphalt runoff, Hamilton was able to actually pretty keep his momentum up pretty
1: well and didn't lose any positions to this and in fact, was right beside Alonso as they went into turn two, which is Al Rouge and uh, which is uh you know flat corner it's just downhill to the bottom of a hill, so the uh, the cars have all the, the the load from going down the hill you know as they go right back up the hill um, there's so much pressure on the suspension that they can really push really hard and they actually went side by side through Ar Rouge. But, uh, which was tight. Yeah, which was actually pretty cool. But, uh, uh Lewis end, ended up, uh, you know, backing off a little bit to let Alonso through. And I mean, it was good of him to avoid a crash, but still it seems, um, like it was kind of a wanky move on Alonso's part, for lack of a
0: better word. Certainly. But to be fair, and this is where I can make up, make one point is Alonso did seem to be quicker than Lewis throughout the race. Alonso pulled ahead. Even if Lewis had a little advantage here or there, Alonso seemed to just nip away, be a tenth quicker lap roughly. and. And he just, he finished several seconds ahead of Lewis.
1: Yeah, it didn't look like Lewis. I mean, only at the very end, in the last stint, when I, I imagined just Fernando was just backing off a little bit because he knew he could, um, was the only time that Lewis really started to gain on Alonso. But, uh, you know, it wasn't, it didn't become of anything. What I think is interesting, though, is looking at the fastest laps, I mean, basically, you know, it was a Ferrari dominance um, from the get-go. Hey. Yeah, and... um but looking at the fastest laps, I mean, Felipe Massa actually had fastest lap over Kimi by a little bit. He had a 148.036, um, which was set midway through the race.
0: Uh, yeah, Kimi, Kimi was doing one fast lap after the other, but then later on, Lewis just kind of nipped it. Or Felipe nipped it. That's what I meant. Yeah.
1: Um, Kimi Raikkonen had a 148.095, right? So within, uh, you know couple of hundredths of a second there. Fernando Alonso was not far off, though, 148.1. I mean, that's basically a tenth off of Kimi's fastest lap time. So it's not like the McLarens couldn't put together a fast lap. Um, and then Lewis Hamilton is only a, um, about another half-tenth um, behind, behind Fernando. So it's not like the McLarens just had no pace. It's just that they couldn't sustain it, like they couldn't make the tires work as well for as long or something like that. Um, and both the McLaren fastest laps were set you near know, the very end of the race, you know, minimum fuel load. Uh, Fernando's literally, his fastest lap was on the last lap. So uh, it's, you know, you wonder sort of, is it just Ferrari just better at setting up the car to work with the tires? You know, has McLaren been distracted by all this nonsense
0: going on or what? No, I, I, what I really think it was, to be honest, I mean, if you look at how the lap times, lap times were set in the first 10 laps, 15 laps, Raikkonen was peeling off one fastest lap after another, and then they just kind of stopped. I think, in my opinion, basically what happened is Raikkonen put in his laps, he established that he was quicker and he just kind of cooled off and started setting his pace and being done with it, whereas... Massa, and definitely the two McLarens were still pushing really hard and that's why their faster laps came later in the race. Yeah. Especially the McLarens at the very end of the race.
1: I think Kimi likes to get that fastest lap in there though. You know, even on weekends when, you know,
0: the McLarens win or whatever, Kimi
1: will come up with, you know, last lap, get his fast lap going there. Not
0: when he's in the lead. That happens when he's behind and he's really trying to push. he's got that aggression going. If that's the best point he
1: can make is a fast lap, sure. But, uh, yeah, I mean, so definitely, you know, very solid performance for Kimi. We can't, uh, can't understate that. I mean, that
0: and and one he was quite happy about. I mean, this was this was a this was a happier Kimi Räikkönen than I've seen in a long time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's actually a celebration in
1: the car. And curiously, because the laps at uh, at Spa this this year, they're so the, the laps are like what two and a half miles or something or, or four,
0: and four and a four half and miles, minutes, yeah. almost two minutes long. Yeah, that's
1: minute forty five. Yeah, minute forty eight. Uh, whatever. These real long laps. Um, instead of doing a whole cool down lap like they normally do, the cars actually at the end of the uh, right after the start finish line. They turn around and do like this 180 degree turn and go in the pit lane backwards. And in the process of doing that, Kimi Raikkonen did a pretty sweet little donut and, and coming like through.
0: Nice burnout donut. You don't ever see that in yeah, Formula Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, a good little throwback to the NASCAR guys or whatever. I don't know, but. Champ uh, car. No, keep it real. Champ car. Yeah, whatever. Um, but. You call out NASCAR. Champ car does the beautiful donuts. NASCAR does the grass spitting. Yoohoo! Type of that Yeah, well that was thing. that was
1: Kimi today though. So, you know, it's cool to see him celebrate and and they clinched the uh constructor championship this weekend too. So, that's it's a big day for Ferrari. Um and they say, you know, and Luca de Monaco the chairman of Fiat, you know, the uh, parent company for Ferrari, came out and said, "Yeah, you know, even if if we win the championship because uh, you know, because of McLaren being excluded, we still win, they're cheaters, whatever." You know, they're still just as happy about it. So,
0: um, and to that we say fair enough, and to you we say we're going to talk about all of that later. There's a whole lot to talk about with what's happened to McLaren and why, in fact, McLaren is out of the 2007 Constructors' Championship. Uh, for those of you who haven't heard that, that is the news, and we are going to explain that at the end of the podcast. There's a lot to go into, and we really want to save that to the end so we don't ramble too much. So, back to the race, I think, uh, you know... I, Ferrari did amazing. I don't think McLaren had anything for them. Um but I also want to give a shout out to Robert Kubica.
1: Yeah, he started what? Uh 15th. He started yeah, 14th on the grid. He uh 14th, sorry. He uh had an engine change. So he qualified well but then was pushed back 10 spots it for having qualified an engine fifth. change. And uh but worked his way up and actually had a, you know, really good battle going back and forth with Heikki Kovalainen in, in the Renault. Um he ended up just out of the points that's Kubica ended just out of the points. In ninth, uh, so it's it's too bad he couldn't you know make more out of that.
0: But uh, and Heike did well to, to hold him off too as well in the Renault. Quite so, quite so. And, and, but you know it just goes to show that this BMW Sauber team is a very solid team, and they 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 do well regardless of what positions they're in. They're, this type of breakdown where they had to do an engine change is very rare for that team, and they still did pretty well by it. You know Nick Heidfeld, like we mentioned, did finish fifth, so they continue to solid collect solid points. They are pretty much guaranteed to finish second in the Constructors' Championship. Uh, that's very good for the team. And I like and hope to think that they're going to be a very strong force in 2008.
1: Yeah, I'm starting to think about how the the, the pit row is going to be lined up next year, okay? Because the way that the, the teams are assigned which garage they get is based on how they finished the previous year's championship, so what's interesting is that Renault, which are sort of you know mid pack at best right now, um, they have the best you know the, the last pit stop are arguably the best one um, on on the line there. And, and then uh, then it's McLaren, then it's Ferrari, or no then it's Macla- uh, Ferrari, then McLaren. And uh, I'm thinking, okay, so Renault obviously is going to go back to the middle somewhere. Fourth. Ferrari's going to be at the front. third maybe. Um, McLaren's going to be down at the end with the spikers and Super Aguri and Honda and you know all the all the back markers <laughs> just because of their exclusion and not getting any points. Um, and BMW is actually going to have second best spot now, uh, you know, for next year for 2008. So, you know, it's kind of interesting how how things are going to be so shaken up, um, you know, next year the the way that this constructor championship is going to end and and all that. I mean, it's really kind of just gotten crazy.
0: But certainly, at the end of the day, I don't think pit box placement is that big of a deal. It's not like McLaren's going to. Be hindered in the 2008 championship because of their pit box. Have you seen the size are. of
1: their motorhome? Are they going to be able to, no, the garages literally are smaller down there. And there is some question of whether or not they're going to be able to fit all their rigs. And I guess there's uh, some part of it the way how much, um, the FIA like covers the travel costs for the top 10 teams or something. Um, and it's sort of an incentive to, to be competitive and, and, you know, maintain everything and sort of keep the sport going. And, um, and so McLaren won't have any help from the, you know, from the FIA or whatever in the future, which is a little bit weird um because it seems like the it's it's the lower 10, lower 12 teams that need the help, you know, that that actually could use that money and the, the top 10 teams have no problem
0: sure. um paying for it but Well, you know, Ron Dennis will probably just have the rigs and different things put on the various yachts that McLaren has to sort out issues. Yeah. So I think there'll be room for the stuff, the conference yachts if you will. Exactly. So next thing uh that I thought that was interesting in this frankly not very interesting race and I have to tell you, that was kind of disappointing because you and I were both really looking forward to this. Not quite as much as Monza. Monza's like huge, but Spa is a big deal and there's usually lots of excitement, but it, it was a very bland race. I mean, it was dry all weekend. That might have been part of it. No yellow flags. No, not even local yellow flags. Yeah,
1: no safety cars. I mean, the, any of the incidents that happened, like David Coulthard had a hydraulic problem and he had to pull off and he just sort of, you know, the hydraulics failed and he pulled off into the, you know, the exit of the corner and no worries. You know, Alex verts I uh, had to retire. He just went in back into the pits. Um, Sebastian Vettel had a steering problem. I mean, but no one... Button blowed up. Yeah, and, and we should also mention Giancarlo Fisichella had suspension damage on the third lap, um, or no, lap one, on the first lap. Um, he started from the back and, uh, you know, started from the pit and had issues and ended up p- pulling his car in, so it was just a horrible weekend for uh, Fisichella. Not like it would have gone much better if the car was running properly. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, maybe that's why there were no other incidents, because he wasn't uh, out on track, but... Um, yeah, really sort of just a, you know, nice. it seemed like a parade for a while there. I mean, I was after that turn one schmazel with, uh, with the McLaren boys. There really not a whole
0: lot that happened up until the first round of pit stops. And so it was. I actually had to poke Jim twice to wake him up. I, I mean, he had a long day today, fair enough, but usually that's not the case. Yeah, man. So it's,
1: it's sort of too bad. Uh, we should mention the Toyota's 10th and 11th. C- come on, guys. They were they were trying to look strong too. They were looking pretty good in practice, and uh, said, "Oh yeah, we got a pretty good package
0: going together for Spa. You know, it's gonna be it's gonna be all set up. We're gonna be way better than we've been." No. You know, I have to say, it's getting to the point where I have. I think they just need a new drivers lineup. I mean, here's the problem. Trulli has put that car in the top ten for like four races in a row now. Eighth, ninth, tenth. He's been there, and then every time in the race, he goes from eighth to twelfth, ninth to eleventh. He just keeps losing spaces. And here, once again, uh, uh, Ralph Schumacher actually finished ahead of Truly. And Ralph was out in what, Q1? Ralph qualified 17th or 18th? I actually, started Ralph started 10th. Um, he started 10th? Yeah. But, wow, I yeah. was way off. <laughs> no, I mean, Yarno, I think
1: he started, Yarno Trulli started 8th and lost like three positions, and uh, I think it was like in the first lap, like, you know, going into the first turn, or, or it was really early on, and just never really... We never really saw anything from him after that. I mean, he just sort of wallowed around in in that position. To be fair, Rob's
0: usually out in qualifying (laughs) one, so I just assumed. But yes, you start 10.
1: Well, in the qualifying, it was a little bit tricky today. I know we're going a little out of order here, but um, it seemed like all of the drivers in qualifying really set their laps after the checkered flag had come out. I mean, it's usually, you know, these. In Q1, right, yeah. The the, the laps come in, and, you know, uh, there's a couple of outliers. There's a couple of outliers. There's one or two people still on track that may bump the guys that are there, but. Um, it's, you know, in, like in Q1, Sebastian Vettel was in seventh after the checkered flag had gone out, but by the time everyone else had shuffled through, he was down in wherever he started, 17th. Yep. You know, it's like um, pretty amazing. Just everyone wait, waited to go really, really late to like let, let the track rubber in and get more time going and everything. So, um, yeah, Ralph was, was down there in Q1 until the very last, and he was able to get himself up into Q2. But uh, just another disappointing weekend for Toyota. And, I mean, Yarno truly... He always seems to have a good attitude about things. He does seem absolutely. to be helpful in you know setting up the car, and he's pretty good at that kind of thing. But just you know, just loses this drive sometimes, or just doesn't have this you know the the fight in him, or, or whatever it is. It's 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 hard to say.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the other Japanese team, same story. You know, there was a great pass that Sato made on the outside of Jensen Button for twelfth place. It's not like Super Guri was fighting for points, but it just, that sums up the season so perfectly well. And, you know, here it is. The Williams Toyota, Nico Rosberg finished sixth. Yeah. Factory Toyotas, like we said, 10th and 11th. Red Bull Renault, Mark Weber yeah, Mark in seventh, Ever. ahead of the factory Renault, Kovalainen. And Super Aguri, wow. I mean, it's just, Super Aguri finished ahead of Honda again. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, uh, Takuma Sato finished 15th, and
1: Anthony Davidson in 16th. Um, and yeah, Jensen Button had to had to retire. Uh, he'd gone 36 laps, and uh, Rubens ended up in 13th. So he was ahead of the uh, Super
0: Aguri's, but. You know, still a lap probably back. Probably a fluke in the timing. He was probably a lap down, and for some reason, the somehow, time didn't yeah, just it.
1: some kind of vortex made it work. But it's it's still just you know both of those teams. I mean, it's it's like good for Super Aguri, and you know, good Great to see them for up. Super Aguri. But for Honda, man, and in Japan is the next race. I mean, that's two weeks away, and yeah. if they've got some super awesome rocket car that's going to work in, in Fuji, though, really. Oh, imp- do they have a rocket car? That'd be so Where's cool. Where is the news? That would that would work well at Fuji. Um, but it's you know <laughs> what what are they going to do? It's like how how are they going to find any kind of speed to look. You know, I mean, better than having a 13th and 18th finish. I mean, that's that's wanky for,
0: for Honda. Come on. You know what I would do is, uh, I would, if I were Honda, I would put Adrian Sutil in one of the cars. That yeah. young man finished 14th in a Spiker.
1: Yeah, he's got some verve. And we saw that a little earlier on in the season. But uh, the, the Spiker just really was behind uh, in, you know, just the car. The technology was really just back there. And, yeah. and they hadn't done anything amazing. And then last weekend in Monza, when they came out with the B-Spec car... It's still, it was a good car, but not, you know, and been, both, both cars finished, which was good, but the car really didn't impress that much last week. But,
0: well, uh, that's hard to say, though. I mean, Monza is such a unique track, a unique place. Were you impressed? I was. Oh. It's so flat oh, out. Oh, there you guys, I guess it did impress. It's so flat out everywhere. You're on the throttle over 70% of the time, and, you know, most of the corners are chicanes. So it, that's kind of a unique track. But even then, I mean, that, this B-Spec car looked a lot better than the original car. And it was penned by Mike Gascoigne, which Jim Lau knows a lot about. Yeah, man, former Toyota guy who was sort of uh, fired from
1: Toyota. And they say, oh, we don't really know why he was fired. It's like, well, if he designed the Toyota car and this is how well the Toyota's doing, then hey, I guess, you know, give that guy a new job. But not that Toyota's found a whole lot more speed out of there. So it's definitely good to see, you know, Adrian Sutil gets, you know, a little recognition. And, you know, 14th may not sound great, but obviously keeping the car together and having, uh, having everything work, you know, for the second weekend in a row. And these are the two hardest races on, you know, a powertrain. Having, you know, Monza, like Robin said, 70% flat out every lap and, you know, just hard on the, hard on the engine and and transmission and everything. And then to have the same engine and trans in the car, um, for the next weekend here at, you know, here at Spa with a lot of uphill runs and, you know, a lot of,
0: two long, uh, acceleration runs up the hill and down the hill.
1: You know, even just having the thing hold together is, uh, it's good. I mean, you know, even Jensen Button's Honda fell apart. It's like, you know, those, those cars are usually, you know, not fast, but reliable anyway, and, right. and it wasn't. And, uh, so there's been some, some reshuffling at, at Spa. You know, the, the course is a little bit changed around from how it used to be. Um, you know, the, the last turn, uh, used to be called the bus stop. It was like a really, really tight hairpin. Um, about one car length long. I mean, you turn into the hairpin, there was like one car length, and then you turn out of it. It was really tight chicane. It was a, a left-right complex. Kind of looked like a bus stop. Kind of looked like a bus stop. <laughs> and I remember some cool passing from there from a couple of years ago. Um, with, uh, Juan Pablo Montoya specifically and a couple of cool moments there. And that's sort of been re, re-shuffled around and it's just a chicane. Just though. a regular chicane or whatever. And, uh, Nico Rosberg actually came out early on in the weekend saying, you know, the new track, the way it's, um, you know, partly with the V8 engines, this is the first time they've had the V8, uh, F1 cars at this track. And partly with the way some of these corners are shuffled around, it's just not exciting anymore. Cause Aurouge was, is always, it's, it's still flat out, uh, you know, still full throttle the whole way. But it used to be a challenge to get through All Rouge flat, you know, in the V10s and you had 900 and some horsepower. Um, it was, that car was on the edge going through that corner. And now, you know, it's, it's flat and it's, not that it's not still a fun corner and, you know, it's still, the cars still look great going through it, but it's
0: not the challenge that it used to be. And it, I think it's lost something in that. Yeah, but that, let's, let's keep this in context here. I mean, this is all relative. It, it's not as challenging as it used to be. But Al Rouge is still a 180 mile an hour corner, so you're going 180 miles an hour and you're not going straight. First, and also, it still has a lot of other swooping high speed corners. It has this huge elevation. I mean, it, it still has long a lot of opportunities to pass. We saw that with the mid with the mid pack teams and the teams farther back. It still offers a whole heck of a lot that. Most of the newer F1 tracks just don't.
1: It does, and and it was definitely a really you know just there's so many great looks around that track, especially from some of the helicopter shots where you can see the terrain. You can see the cars going really you know drastically uphill and then turning around and going downhill and and all these things and that you know a lot of times we have rain and the water's going across the track in different places and whatever. It's just sort of a you know really interesting track and it's it's still a cool track def- definitely, but you know the extra 200 horsepower really made it that much cooler having the cars dance through there and.
0: Yeah, what used to be really on edge. Right. What used to be the case is that All Rouge was 190 miles an hour or whatever it was, and you were at the limit of the car to get through it. I mean quite hair raising. And
1: and with the tire battles going on, you know, all the, the you know, all the compounds, everything was as sticky as it possibly could be and everything was just right at the limit. It was really a little more you know, a little more exciting than it is now, but the track definitely is still um, you know, up there and, and one of my favorites of the season as far as the actual track. And
0: good to see it back on the calendar after being gone last year for these renovations. Absolutely. Uh, so, really, to be completely honest, not that exciting of a race. Uh, you know, like we said, a Ferrari 1 2, McLaren 3 4. Uh, now, in the championship, uh, Raikkonen does close up on the McLarens. He is now 11 points behind Alonso and 13 points behind Hamilton. And for those math whizzes, that means that Hamilton and Alonso are two points apart from each other, very tight. Um, So Raikkonen is not technically out of it. He certainly has to do it. I'm still betting it's a very outside chance. I'm still thinking it's going to come down to McLaren, the two McLaren drivers, which could be quite spicy considering all this uh, drama that's going on. Well, we've got three three races to go, right? Uh, The Japanese Grand Prix,
1: then China, and then Brazil. And, I mean, two points – this could go back. I mean, if, if you know, Lewis or Fernando has a retirement in one of the next, you know, race or two or three, it's, I mean, that, it's such a big swing that, uh, I mean, it's really hard to say what's going, you know, what could happen. And, and, you know, Ferrari thinks that they're going to be strong at the next three tracks. McLaren thinks they're going to be strong. I mean, it's like, you know, I guess the talk really doesn't matter at this point. It's just, we'll, we'll wait and see. I mean, we've only got a couple more weeks till, uh, you know, two weeks until uh, Japan and uh, we'll go from there. But, you know it's it's really hard to say there's no comfortable lead at all, I mean two points they're they're right down there, so uh and if you know if next weekend if uh Fernando Alonso wins and Lewis Hamilton's in second, they end up tied in the championship Wait, yeah, so you know but then there's still two races to go so it's not like they'd go into the last. like I don't think there's the sure mathematically there's some way that they could go into the last race tied and you know have the last position on track, be the title chase, I don't know, but it's definitely shaping up to be exciting and uh um, I think I'd still like to see Lewis Hamilton be, you know, the first rookie world champion ever. Um, Fernando Alonso lately has really just, you know, given me a bad vibe, you know, pushing Lewis off the track and, you know, some of the, some of the way he's handled, uh, these different comments in the media with this whole scandal and everything and, uh, what seems like he may be trying to blackmail the team and some different, I mean, it's just, he really sort of, I don't know if what, he just doesn't feel at home there and he's trying to spite these guys or whatever. Um, but we have heard reports, uh, I just read, uh, earlier today that, um, you know, Fernando and his manager said, oh, no, we're going to be with McLaren at least for the rest of the team. You know, there's no, no reason we're going to break out of our contract. Uh, everything's great. But clearly everything's not great. And, it, you know, it just – I, Fernando, I, I was a big Alonzo fan, you know, when he when – he, uh, you know, last couple years in Renault did really well and it was really cool to see him
0: do all these things. But now he just – I mean, he's just being unsporting lately. I am still a big Alonso fan, although I do agree with you that these, these last few races, the things we've heard – um, uh, is unfitting of the Alonzo we've known in these past few years. But I also think I should point out that whether this new Alonzo is a dick or not, I think he has the upper hand on Hamilton at the moment. Uh, these last couple of races, he seems to have been the stronger McLaren driver between the two. And now that it is just down to two points, I think Hamilton has... He has a big chance of losing this championship in the last couple of races.
1: Yeah, I think partway through the season, um, Fernando sort of, you know, looked at the leaderboard and realized, no, you know, Lewis is literally still ahead of me. Like, how can this happen? I've really got to, you know, buckle down. And and apparently, uh, you know, we we talked about uh, several races ago. I don't remember quite when. Alonso said he's going to stop sharing his setup information with Lewis, and uh, I wonder if that's played into it at all because I think that's a lot. I think it has. I certainly think a lot of you know, world championship winning ways is just. You know, some of the setup and some of the, the tactical advantages you can get and, you know, being, having this open communication, I'm sure at the beginning of the team, uh, beginning of the season, Alonso could think, oh yeah, I'll help out this, you know, this kid is just brand new in Formula One and I'm this double world champion, oh, it's gonna be great. You know, I'm, I'm number one, he's number two, he's just some rookie. Um but after, you know, Lewis, Staying ahead of Alonso for enough races in the championship, it uh, really, you know, Alonso probably wised up and thinks,
0: "Man, I gotta, I gotta win this for myself." Well, the North American sweep, I'm sure, didn't uh, didn't help things for Alonso much in his opinions. And think about, it, I mean, you know, Alonso now has few years' race experience with three different racing teams, and you know, Hamilton is you know a green rookie. So I think, you know, of all the things that would take a long time to learn, I mean. Any Formula One driver, rookie or not, is not learning how to drive a car, but it is all the other details involved with being a Formula One driver. Setups, thinking about the car over a distance of a race. I mean, a car might begin the race understeering, it might end the race oversteering. Which are you going to prefer? What point in time? What tires are you going to be at? What's the weather effect? Given the those engineers, type of good things, feedback and exactly. testing and, and all this. Yeah, certainly. So, does. so it's those type of things that you just kind of develop with years of experience that Hamilton, I'm sure, will get there, and he might get there quite quickly. It's not like Hamilton's fallen off the, uh, off the competition, now that he doesn't have Alonso's, uh, you know, Alonso's help, but, certainly, those things, I think, can be the difference between a tenth or two in a lap, and having the car set up just so, you know? So, uh, I, I think that is part of it, and I think Alonso has proven that he's willing to do anything to get this championship again. Yeah,
1: underhanded or not, I guess. So speaking of underhanded McLarens and so on, we should, uh, I guess, yeah, you know, that, that, finally address this whole, you know, right. industrial espionage
0: scandal that's that's played out. This kind of sums up Spa. So for those of you who don't really care about the the non-race report, the non-racing part of the, the podcast, you guys can take your headphones off now you know what you should do that is send us an email feedback at
1: f1show.com just let us know uh, what part of it you do like if you you know, want to hear more of this or less of this or whatever we always like to hear from you guys and uh leave a comment on the blog at f1show.com or drop us
0: an email i'd appreciate that yeah do that and p.s roberto we're not trying to get on your boy but you know if you if you got an insight we don't have we'd love to hear it because looks like alonzo's trying to be uh kind of a dick about this stuff and i and i've used the word dick more than once now. So. uh to the scandal this is first of all the facts mclaren as a constructor is out of the 2007 world championship they have lost every single point that they earned throughout the 2007 championship and are not allowed to collect any points for the rest of the 2000 championship nor are they allowed to bring representation on the podium for the constructor if the drivers win a race,
1: yeah, Which, it's worth noting the drivers still score points. Yes, nothing changes with the drivers' championship, and that's what we most commonly talk about. But the constructors' championship is really big for the manufacturer, you know, for Mercedes and for McLaren. And uh, like we mentioned, all this affects their standings next year, their overall standings. Just the in, in the, the Formula One community, really a, I mean, yeah. you know, there's a lot of money that goes on, you know, the the, the points bonuses that they get from the F, you know from the FIA and the whole thing. I mean, it, it really does affect a lot of the things behind the scenes. So, Jim. What happened? <laughs> oh, great. Yeah. Pass it <laughs> off to me for the whole, the whole Well, I wrap gotta go to get a drink. Yeah, right. Um, so the uh, Ferrari, <laughs> oh, yeah, you are too. You are leaving. Um, so Ferrari engineer, um, Nigel Stepney, um, I, I guess was good buddies with Mike Coughlin, who was a McLaren, uh, employee, and gave him, just loads and loads of information from Ferrari. I mean, I guess they were just good mates from back in the day, and they had no problems with, you know, there are some of these 700-page documents about technical information. 780 about the, pages. Yeah, I mean, huge. This is not like, oh, here's this little, you know, this. oh, I, I happen to know the setup for next week is going to be this. I mean, this is like pages and pages of technical documents. And uh, apparently how a lot of this started was that, uh, and, and actually uh, Jean-Todd, Dedicated this weekend's win and the, and the clinch and the constructors championship to the employee at the photocopy shop who actually noticed someone who turned out to be Mike Coughlin's wife photocopying pages and pages of confidential Ferrari documents. So
0: some, oops, someone at a Kinko's somewhere in like. It's called a three and one printer copier scanner. I mean, yeah. come on. So, uh, dude, 780 pages though. Come on. I'm uh, just saying. So, you know, someone at, at a copy shop was, uh, heads up enough to say, hey, that's I'll tell hum- you this much. If, Mike Coughlin's wife was going to the store to get toner. I don't think the guy getting toner would have been like, hey, why is Mike Coughlin's wife going hey, to buy hey, toner? You're not copying confidential Ferrari documents, are you? What are you doing with all that toner?
1: So I just think it's great that someone at the copy shop was heads up enough and like enough of an F1 fan to be like, hey, that's that prancing horse. That's his confidential. I'm going to call John Todd. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and so it's, it's really sort of a tricky situation because it, it's, um, you know, Nigel Stepney giving information to McLaren and then this whole thing comes out and the net effect after all is said and done is that Ferrari wins the Constructors' Championship, and there's, like, no egg on Ferrari's face here, even though it's arguable that it was their their employee in the first place giving this information out. So whether it was completely up to Mike Coughlin to deny this information and say, oh, no, buddy, that's not sporting, I shouldn't accept any of this, is,
0: you know, I guess a question of, of you know, we don't know exactly what happened, so it's hard to say, but... Um, but you certainly it certainly was not Ferrari's intention for Michael Stepney to give McLaren information in hopes that it would turn into a scandal that would end up getting McLaren out of the Constructors' Championship. I think that can is... you say that for sure? I think that's quite the conspiracy theory. I think people might be asking, well, why did Michael Stepney do this in the first place? Nigel Stepney. Nigel Stepney. Nigel! Anyway, um, the reason is, as best as we can tell, is when Ross Braun took his sabbatical... Nigel Stepney was chief mechanic, and he assumed, and I guess for he had some valid reason to think so, that he might be moved up to technical director at Ferrari. He did not, and I think he was pretty disgruntled about that. He said he's no longer going to be at the races, and he was kind of becoming uh, uh, a little bit separated from the team and obviously uh, unhappy. And there's one of the reasons that Lynx... Coughlin and uh, Nigel together, Stephanie together, is that they were having a conversation with the Honda uh, team manager, Nick Fry, and it, it looked quite obvious that Nigel was interested in leaving Ferrari, going to another team, and moving on to, quote, unquote, bigger and better things. Yeah. So he did have a chip on his shoulder because he did not get the promotion he thought he should get at Ferrari, which is why he decided to hose Ferrari.
1: And that, Yeah, so in, it turns out Honda, you know, was just, was not really involved in this. It was just sort of happening. You know, that was part of the original when they would say, oh, well, why is Nigel Steppi
0: talking to Mike Coughlin at all? Oh, they were trying to work up some meeting at, you know, at Honda. They were talking back and forth there. And Nick Fry came on, he came a statement saying, you know, Mike Coughlin and myself and Nigel Stephanie did have lunch together. That did happen. We did talk and all this oh, and by the way, Honda didn't get anything, we yeah. didn't give anything, we have nothing to do with this, so please don't get us involved. And besides, we're sucking anyway. Do yeah. not need this drama someone, on top of everything Someone should else. give Honda some confidential information because Lord knows they can use it. I mean, honestly, Coughlin, if you have any of those copies left, or Coughlin's wife, can you hand them over to Honda? Really. But, you know, then more recently it turns out there were like 388
1: text messages that went back and forth between these guys, and that's a little more than any reasonable person should take to set that's up a little a little bit more than a, hello! yeah. <laughs> A cup of tea with Honda, then right. <laughs> so there was, you know, originally the FIA sort of determined, okay, yes, there was some information that was exchanged, but we don't have enough evidence to, you know, or any evidence to really prove that McLaren did anything wrong with it. This so was in July, and and we talked. I think we mentioned that in passing, sort of, yes, something happened, but we don't really have any evidence to show anything bad. So no, you know, no punishment, just go on racing. Um, but then more recently, um, and this is. Some of this is is rumor and hearsay, but it's sort of come from enough sources that it's um, we're going
0: to say it's slightly substantiated, I guess. And for everyone out there, this is where it gets a little tricky.
1: Yeah. Um, apparently, around the time of the Hungarian Grand Prix, um, Fernando Alonso uh, being very pissed at uh, Ron Dennis because he doesn't feel like he's being treated as the top driver Laudy in the team. Body was the number one driver. Yeah. yeah. Lewis well, is number two. Didn't feel didn't feel appreciated. You know, he wasn't. Wasn't having his needs met or whatever. Not enough money, um, whatever it was. Goes to Ron Dennis and says, oh, by the way, I have all this damaging information. You want me to give that to the FIA? And sort of to, uh, you know, just to piss off his boss or to try to blackmail him or, you know. And at some point, i do not quite sure where this fits in, um, Alonzo was actually trying to, like, ask them to suspend Lewis Hamilton. And now that just seems childish to me. And I don't know if I can, you know, if that – we we should you know that's that's uh, that's alleged to have happened. We don't know that for sure by yeah, any that's means. Speculation. But, but uh, at some point you know that's that's something that's circulating around is that you know Alonso is pissed enough at at Hamilton to sort of want to say oh you know kick him out of the sport
0: you know get someone else some other driver in there otherwise I'm going to release all this damaging information. And just real quick, I mean, Hamilton's punishments do not fit the crime in terms of, I don't know why Alonzo would be so mad at Hamilton. I mean, other than him being better than he should have been. I
1: think he's mad at the team and wanted to take it out on Hamilton because the result is that Hamilton is, you know, beating him in the championship. So that's partly, you know, part of my opinion of of Alonso being kind of, you know, whiny and unsportsmanlike. Now Hamilton knows
0: all the trials and tribulations that Tiger Woods goes through.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, So, you know, then... Uh, Ron Dennis did what I think is the right thing, and sort of said, "Hey, you know, Fernando, if you have information that the FIA needs, if you have relevant information in this case, bring it to light. You know, we want everything to come out of here. We don't want to be hiding information. And I think that's, you know, that's probably the best way to handle it. And it's just, you know, yeah, some wrongdoing happened, but anything we know about it, let's tell the FIA. Let's
0: just clear the air of this and and get it all handled." Which is kind of like, "I'll see your blackmail and raise you the truth." Die. Uh, so, <laughs> so. And- Sorry, go ahead.
1: And so, you know, but the FIA sent n- notes to all three drivers on the team—the you know, uh, Fernando Alonso, Lewis Hamilton, and their test driver Pedro De La Rosa—and curiously, Hamilton has nothing. He sort of came up and said, "Nope, you know, none of this information was given to me. I don't know anything about it." You know, that's he's gone on record as saying that. So Hamilton, you know, is, you know, apparently free and clear of this. So they're all
0: free and clear. All the drivers got immunity to (laughs) hand over this. Alright, I'm I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So,
1: but Fernando Alonso and Pedro de la Rosa, as Robin mentioned, in exchange for handing over this information, um, are immune from prosecution, which is partly why the driver's championship is unaffected. But I think it's interesting that, you know, Fernando had this potential upper hand of this information from Ferrari that he got through Mike Coughlin. Um, but it wasn't sharing that with Lewis Hamilton. I think that's interesting that that's like, you know, all part of it. It's like, you know, he, he knew the weight balance of the car at a couple of races. He knew the way that they were setting up some, you know, the aerodynamic balance at speed and they were going to test some of these things in their wind tunnel. And the, McLaren maintains that they never used any of this technical information, that they did have the information. It did get to the drivers, but that they never actually tested any of these things on the car and especially never actually changed the car design. Um, to take advantage of any of these technical regulations or any of these any of this technical information, so McLaren is you know steadfast about that point that yes, we had this information, yes, it made its way to our drivers, but we did not get any advantage out of it and that 's a big distinction because if they did get any design advantage out of it, that would not only affect their season this year but also into their car next year and their design there, and apparently they were right on the edge of being banned from even competing. In uh, the rest of '07 and '08, let alone scoring constructor points in '07 and '08, and the, the final the final judgment is that they, you know, none of their points in '07 count, but that they will be able to, um, you know, pending any further developments, that you know, for the moment anyway, that McLaren will be allowed to score points in the 2008 championship, which I think is a good thing because I think kicking them out of the points for another year would just be a, a bigger blow to sort of the sport and all the, you know, having the drama overshadow the racing would be really, I think, just a, a problem. Okay, but. Here's what bothers me.
0: You go on, we talk about the ethics of the whole thing, and you know we've, we've talked about this in the past. I mean, this is technical information. This is Ferrari's intellectual property. And the drivers were given immunity, and that's fine, and I understand that. But I think the drivers more than anybody have a lot to blame. Mike Coughlin has been suspended, and I'm assumed by now fired, um, once they found out that he was dealing in this. But here you have Pedro De, De La Rosso and Fernando Alonso openly saying, yeah, we, we got the Ferrari information, and yes, we were trying to use it. I mean, in some of the text messages and emails that Pedro uh, De La Rosa sent to Alonso and Alonso back to him and that they got from Coughlin, it was like, hey, can we te- check this out? I want to test this. This looks interesting. They had zero trouble and zero hesitation in using this Ferrari information for uh, an advantage. Now, certainly, uh, this goes back to the old cliche. There's two types of racers. There's cheaters and losers. But at the same time, I mean, this is Formula One. This is a big deal. It's mandated by the FAA, which is a huge powerhouse legal system compared to most sanctioning bodies. And I'd be, as a McLaren boss with Ron and I, I'd be awfully pissed at both my drivers. Now, uh, certainly what else this means is if the two drivers had this information, Certainly, several people had this information because there's no way that, uh, that Doloroso and Alonzo would have this information without a lot of the other engineers knowing about it. And I frankly have a hard time uh, thinking that Ron Dennis didn't know about this for a while.
1: Yeah, but that's it's hard to say. And this is, you know, we're not lawyers and don't pretend to be so, but we have watched a little bit of Law and Order. And it's one of those things where it's like the only facts in play are those that were obtained a certain way through evidence and. You know, once the drivers are, come forward and are given immunity, they have no problem speaking about it. And that's sort of the point, I guess, of that kind of rule to say, um, that, you know, to get this information out in the first place, um, is, you know, to grant the drivers immunity. So at that point, they have no problem talking about it. And the World Motorsport Council sort of did agree that's, which is the body that is dealing with all this in the court. They, they did find, you know, in their official statement that, that no technical information was used for, to competitive advantage in the McLaren team. So, Arguing that point is is moot at this. You know, it's that doesn't matter because that you know the the facts. You know, the record shows that um, you know McLaren didn't get any advantage out of this. So I agree. There probably were more people that knew about it, but it, you know we can't say for sure one way or another. And it's it's one of those things. You know, at, at that point, does this matter? And um, this whole and so the, the ultimate besides about being banned from the points for the rest of the year and um, and, and constructor points, they're also fined a hundred million dollars. Um, which may not, I mean, which to me originally, I'm like, you know, in Formula One, whatever, you know, a hundred mil. It's a lot of money. But it's a lot of money. I mean, that's like, that's like two seasons worth of, of profit for McLaren. So obviously they, they turn over, you know, millions and millions of dollars a year in, in revenue, but, you know, they spend a lot of money too, not in addition to
0: making it, so. Yeah, I think Formula One racing is probably the highest overhead business you can have. I mean, the yeah. overhead cost is huge.
1: So, um, but that's less any, any you know, normally uh, the teams get bonuses for all the points they score as constructors and so on. So it's $100 million less the amount of money that they would have gotten if they were still earning points. And, and some uh, estimates have been about that the final check that they're going to have to write um, to the FIA is going to be about $30 million. So it's not like, it's not like McLaren's going to go out of business over this, but it's still a lot of money. And it's, it's really debatable, I think, um, like, what is, is that? Is a hundred million dollar, you know, so to speak, fine. Is that enough of a deterrent? I mean, our team is really trying to go about this left and right, and once they see this fine, they're going to think, "Oh, wait, we better not do that. That might be $100 dollars." I mean, it's it's really you sort of wonder, you know, does the does the punishment fit the crime or whatever, and um, just you know, what is, what is the, you know, what is that money going to go to? You know, who gets that? Is that just, you know, lining the pockets of Bernie Ecclestone and crew or Max Mosley, I guess, in the case of the FIA. Bernie won't get any of it, but the the FIA. And sort of how is that, I mean, it's, it's tough to put a dollar amount. I mean, this is the biggest, uh, the biggest fine ever, uh, imposed by the FIA. Um, all the, you know, everything, all the new media that talks about it says, you know, the record hundred million dollar fine. And it's, it's a big amount of money, no matter what industry you're in. But, uh. You know, but what I thought was interesting is, you know, they have, and I think this is cool online, the full decision by the FIA World Motorsport Council. I mean, we can read through the whole, you know, Article One Fifty One C of the Sporting Code. We're not <laughs> going to. Oh, we could. Um, but we're
0: not going. But to. we're not
1: going to. And I think a lot of their findings were fairly logical. I mean, the way that they they would they had a quote from a you know a, a text message. You know, this this message was sent from Pedro de la Rosa to you know Mike Coughlin at this time and this date, and this is what he asked him. And then the, they go on to explain, you know, what does this mean? You know. They didn't actually make this development on the car, so they didn't gain technical advantage from it, but they clearly did have the information. So I think the council, in in all of their hours and hours of deliberation and talking about it, I I agree with their findings, um, but is the fine um, and the the penalty of apparently, you know, they originally proposed uh, literally disqualifying McLaren, saying, hey, pack it up, guys. You're done for this year and next year. That, I think, would be way overkill.
0: Well, but. well, yeah, but, okay, certainly they had to do something, and I think you and I, we're both in a position we could afford a $100 speeding ticket, but when we get that $100 speeding ticket, we certainly don't want to speed for a little while. And this is this is a lot of money, and it is a big deterrent, and I, I do think it does send a message, and I do think the only reason why the FIA – didn't come in and just completely slam the book on McLaren is the fact that if they went much beyond where they went here, I think that would be, uh this has been a big talk around, the, is is this going to be damaging the sport? No, I don't think so. But had they kicked McLaren out, I think that would be damaging to the sport, and I think that would be a little recluse on the FIA's part. So I think it was kind of a delicate balance they had to meet here of, all right, we have to make sure that this is bad for McLaren, but we can't, we can't completely destroy the sport and make 2007 a tainted championship completely because of it. I mean, if Kimi Raikkonen won this championship simply because Alonzo and Lewis weren't there the last three races, that would suck. And we, everyone would say so. Yeah,
1: except for me, you know, Luca de Montezemolo, Ferrari, <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's yeah, great. It's legit.
0: But even Jean Todd, you know, came out a while ago
1: and said, yeah, this is damaging for the sport. Um, curiously, Bernie Ecclestone sort of has the any press is good press attitude about this and saying, oh yeah, it's been on, it's been in all the papers and it's been Formula One and, I mean, well, yeah. he
0: says that because McLaren wasn't kicked out, because he still has it, and he was yeah. a key contributor to keeping McLaren in the championship for the drivers and, yeah. and keeping th- those things happening. Because I think Bernie
1: um, has the business sense, and this is the you know chairman of Formula One management. This is sort of the really billions. one of the guys behind you know behind everything that goes on in F one, and um, just you know also has, very
0: tiny and has Harry Potter glasses. But I suppose that's, <laughs> that's neither here nor there.
1: Not quite relevant to the point here. But, but he does. Yeah, he does. And kind of hair too, but it's gray. Will you, will you let me finish? <laughs> and uh, he has a good sense for sort of the the image of the sport and the appeal and the marketing, and that's all. That's what he's thinking about day in and day out. You know, like what new tracks to go to, and you know what the markets are going to be there, and the business aspect of it. And he realizes how, damaging, how can I bone the U.S. today? Yeah, really. Um, sort of realizes how much you know, how, just a, appeal of the sport would be sort of lost if it were just overly, you know, just ruled by. You know, courts instead of drivers. You know, if it were everything were decided uh, in in meeting rooms and so on instead of just out on track. So, I think it was good for him to sort of stand up for the McLaren guys. And uh, according to some of these reports, you know, Ecclestone really was the guy that kept McLaren competing in the 08 championship. And to be able to score points in 08 um, was really Bernie pushing for that. So I appreciate that because. You know, I personally, I would like to see it as much driver on track as possible.
0: And, and so you know, the, the Clarence shirt was expensive. I mean, that would suck uh, to have to put it in the closet after I know, man. I mean, if,
1: if Lewis Hamilton wins a championship, he's going to be number one. I'm still going to have to get a new shirt, so. So here's,
0: here's the final thing, the final judgment. And I think in some ways, this might be the most damaging is that, okay, McLaren is still in the 2008 championship. However, um, when they build the car, that is going to be uh, closely inspected, and they're going to have a watchful eye, the FIA, the FIA is, over McLaren when they do that to make sure that none of Ferrari's technical information in any way, shape, or form makes it into the build of the 2008 McLaren car. Yeah,
1: they're like there through the design process. What's tricky about that is there are definitely some parts of the Ferrari car or of any other car in the grid that any astute engineer can just look at as the cars are going around. I mean, they're in the pits. They're right next to each other. They can see these different cars. I mean, any any of the teams can see that Ferrari, like, has those air ducts on their wheels that, you know, that supposedly cool the brakes better or whatever, you know, some of these different things that anybody can see that. I mean, from the, from the onboard cameras, you can see the way the wings go and everything like that. So. And you should see the flugels on Jim Scion. Dude. So, it's so, it's sort of going to be a fine line of, of saying, oh, well, that, you know, that duct looks an awful lot like a Ferrari thing. And hopefully they'll be able to distinguish whether that's, if it's something completely internal. I mean, they can't see the fuel tank or anything, you know, this kind of stuff from, um, you know, from just pictures and from seeing them in the pits and so on. But I'm I'm a little bit worried that 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 council will find oh well there's other you know there's this bit of this Ferrari technology in your car and it's you know not something that was obtained
0: anyway, you know underhandedly. Which is exactly why I say what I say. This could prove to be the most damaging part of the ruling is that you know they're going to have this close full eye of the FAA on them and that that could prove to make their car less competitive than it would have been next year had. They'd never seen the Ferrari pages in the first place because they're just being scrutinized so closely. And this could give Ferrari the upper hand. And so if I were Ron Dennis, I would write him a check, say, take your blood money and run. And I would say, Okay, we would have won the constructors, but whatever. But I would that would be what I'd be sweating over.
1: Yeah, and that's apparently so I think we've hopefully have given you an idea of what this whole controversy has has done. And so the sort of the bottom line at this point. McLaren has the opportunity; they can uh, appeal this decision, um, but it sounds like at this point uh, they, like you just said, they want to sort of cut the check, call it a day, and just go on racing. They don't want to draw this whole process out any longer, right. um, and you know, sort of take the penalty they've got instead of making it any worse or whatever. Um, so, uh, Ron Dennis has said he doesn't intend to leave the team or anything. He still loves Formula One. He still wants to go racing. You know, a couple people have said, "Oh, Ron Dennis should be fired for all this." No, you know, he's no, he's I staying. Um, Fernando Alonso and his manager have confirmed, you know, he's staying with them for the rest of the year. Um, well, I guess we'll have to see what happens for next year, but they, you know, Fernando is in a multi-year contract, so they you know, unless they break contract, um, you know, Fernando will be there next year. Um, and, you know, it's, so what, the bottom line is, you know, it should be the, the fine and then the no points, but, um, you know, not like major firings. I'm sure, you know, Mike Coughlin and Nigel Stepney are, have been dealt with already, um, and, So that's that's sort of where where it ends, you know. Is McLaren has sort of decided for the good of the sport, for the good of just not dragging this out. They're probably not going to appeal this decision. I'm sure there's a bunch of lawyers, you know, back in in England somewhere in McLaren's behalf, sort of thinking about this and looking at the options. But uh, hopefully, it's just sort of. Call it done. Go racing. Let's finish out the rest of the season and, uh, do what we can. And I mean, they're still, it's not like this is, you know, an an insignificant team. They're still in the battle for the Drivers' Championship. And if Fernando or Lewis wins the Drivers' Championship, it's still, uh, you know, it's, it's still a big deal. It's still good for McLaren. I mean, it's still good for the sponsors and all that. And the sponsors, a lot of, of most of them, um, certainly the major ones have already come out in support of McLaren, uh, saying, yeah, you know, we're with you and, and we're not going to bail out because of this. So it's not like it's a catastrophe for the team. Uh, not a total catastrophe for the team. Obviously, it's bad, but um, I guess the sooner this is all over with, the better. So, uh, hopefully, that wraps it up, and that's the last we have to deal with uh, this controversy. Although, I'm sure you know other fallout may may come out in the future.
0: Yeah, and the only the the thing I want to kind of end on, which I think is funny, is from the beginning, Nigel Stepney was like, "I didn't do anything wrong. You guys can you guys can uh, take this argument and shove it." You know. I'm, I'm completely in the clear here. Dude. <laughs> <Come> no. <laughs> <on>. <laughs> yeah. Exce- oh, the 780-page document. Dude, I mean, this is all unnecessary. Dude, you were making seven-figure salary working for Ferrari. I'm sorry you didn't become technical director. Ross Braun hacks you're really good at what he does. And the other guy that Ferrari hired that I happen to don't know his name right now happens to be really good at what he does. And guess what? Ferrari's doing just fine without you as technical director. So get over yourself yeah, and don't cause all this drama. Some of these things are illegal and ethical gray areas.
1: No, nah, Nigel me. not so much. That was pretty black. Yeah, that was pretty <laughs> black and white. So on that bombshell, we end this episode. <laughs> uh, again, please send us some uh, some feedback to feedback at f1show dot com. Um, For those who
0: have stuck with uh, us through all that.
1: Unless you're thoroughly, thoroughly confused by our coverage, as we are, we have been at times, thoroughly confused by the media coverage of all this. But hopefully, we've made sense of it and. Uh, and hopefully we'll not talk about this next podcast. Yeah, and if you've got any questions about anything uh, involving this situation that maybe we can answer for you, let us know.
0: And, Roberto, we want to hear from you. What do you think about Alonzo and all he's done?
1: Yeah, man, are you still, Viva Alonzo, Campion? All we, right.
0: We don't know. So until next time, Jim. I'm Jim Lau. And I'm Robin Warner. See ya!